When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. There's one scene where the kids, was it her kids or um, the kids next door? Yeah, the kids are just filthy in it. Yeah, the kids next door, they're just one girl like leans in with a spoon and starts eating the mud. Yeah. And because it kind of shot quite well, it didn't, I didn't kind of go, ugh. I was just like... Was it mud? I thought it was some creature from oh, really? the mud. I, I don't know. They were a strange family. I, I had to look away at that point. <laughs> <laughs> it's 51. This is the 51st podcast of Flitzwatcher. As always, Helen is here. Hello. And we're also joined by Annabelle. Hello. And Gemma. Hello. And these guys are from the Ant Hill podcast. And we're going to be talking about Mudbound. Come find us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod. Visit the website FlixWatcher.tv for full listings. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us an awesome review. So all films were available on Netflix at a time recording, guys. Just as a bit of a warning, there is some bad language and there will be spoilers. You have been warned. Hello and welcome to Flix Watcher Podcast. Today our guests are Gemma and Annabelle from the Ant Hill Podcast. If you'd like to say hello to our listeners and tell us a little bit about your podcast. Okay, hello. Uh, we uh, are the producers of The Ant Hill. So The Ant Hill is run out of The Conversation, which is a website and media organisation that basically gets academics to explain their very clever research to just normal people. Uh, so anyone can read it and hopefully find out a bit more about the world. And The uh, the Ant Hill tries to do that in podcast form. So we take a theme each month and get academics to help us understand that theme so we've done themes from sex most recently we talked about sex robots um to myths yep. to um uh pain to growing uh, up earworms i was listening to the earworms, earworms music on the mind like things like that um and we've done some political stuff and business stuff too so it pretty much covers every topic yeah an early episode was post was just after brexit happened wasn't it yeah yeah so. Brexit special. <laughs> the only time that word can be used next to Brexit. What special? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Annabelle, who do you? Your I guess you just you. What do you do to, with the anthill? Yeah, I'm with Gemma. Um, <laughs> now I'm a co-producer and co-host of the anthill. Um, yeah, that's that's about it. Really. No worries. So you chose Mudbound. I did. Can you tell us why you chose it and a brief kind of interest to what happens yeah so i chose it because it was one of those films that was on my radar for a while uh i'm a bit of a kerry mulligan fangirl mm. um although we can go into this later but i wasn't overly impressed with her in the i mean have, she was fine she yeah. was good we can go into that later yeah. as you say yeah um 
And I think I heard about it in the kind of context of uh, Netflix films being snubbed from uh, Cannes mm. and or big film festivals. And um, yeah, it just it looked kind of interesting and epic. And uh, but this podcast was a was a good excuse to actually finally watch it yeah and you said uh, as you signed up to this episode that you and your husband have a minimum rating can you explain that factor yes it's more it's it's his minimum rating that's of a, I guess, is that that's enforced on you then i guess by proxy yeah a little bit by proxy uh we tend to watch a lot of films together uh and yeah he's got a minimum rating of seven on imdb which cuts out a lot of films um, and including Mudbound originally, it had it definitely had a rating lower than seven when I wanted to watch it. Mm. Uh, and then fortunately, in time for this podcast, it got boosted up to eight or something, and I just checked, and it's down to seven point five. So it's clearly on, yeah, crazy. It's on a roller coaster. It's good to have standards, though. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, it's quite it's quite high. We were saying, wasn't it, seven point five so for IMDb? It's yeah, it's very high. I don't know if it's like a logarithmic scale, but it gets hard and hard to get like incrementally higher in the in the scale unless it's the Shawshank Redemption or something why where's that is that 10 it must be a 11 10. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best film ever according to it on there isn't it um so what happens in Mudbound um so Mudbound is set in kind of 1940s uh Mississippi and it follows two families that live on a farm in Mississippi one is white and one is black and uh their lives are very different, as you might imagine, in kind of Jim Crow America. Mm. Uh, and then kind of World War II hits. So the film kind of straddles World War II. Um, and yeah, the war affects both families in kind of similar but different ways. Mm. And it's kind of it's kind of an epic that just follows these these families. Bit of a modern gone with the wind, but a bit shorter, maybe. Yeah. The, yeah, I guess the eligible male in each family has to go to war. Exactly. And we deal with what they go through, the families go through without the, the eligible male. I don't know if that's the best way to say it. Um, <laughs> Make it what, sound like a bachelor show. It does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what those guys go through during war, um, both the families that are left there and also the guys abroad and also the aftermath of um, them coming back to live in a world which I guess would be, they'd be diagnosed as post-traumatic stress. Um, certainly, um, certainly one guy would be, I guess, affected more by them, it. I think they both do, yeah. 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 So what do you what do you reckon, Annabelle? What do you think about this? I thought it was amazing. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, well, enjoyed is uh, probably not the right word. It's it is uh, some harrowing moments, yeah. and I was very much prepared for uh, the kind of there's a climactic sort of lynching episode mm. uh spoiler alert uh but i was prepared for that because Gemma watched the film before me and, and told her about that um, by accident sorry about that um <laughs> so i basically spent the the entire film really tense waiting for this moment to happen and mm. it kind of became increasingly apparent what like who was going to be lynched yeah as i watched it did you think there was going to that was going to happen when you watched it i thought um Jonathan Banks's character, the Pappy, I thought he had something very, very nasty about him. Um, and when uh, Ronzel came back from, when he first came back from uh, from the war and you see him in, in just the convenience store and they had, Pappy meets Ronzel for the first time, I, I knew that, I just thought there's something there that I think Pappy had been waiting to wreak havoc on that family and this was his excuse as to, 
I think it's just looking for an excuse for something to happen. Um, I didn't think the KKK were going to get involved. They, they were, they weren't prior. They weren't, there was no real kind of backstory of them in the area, but uh, it no, that was sense. quite surprising. I thought, yeah, well. it made sense, I guess, within the context of Jim Crow and, and the deep South and that kind of history of America. But um, so I wasn't, I didn't expect it fully, but I wasn't unexpected when it, when it happened. Yeah. I, I wept when that <laughs> happened. It was just, so full on mm. and by that point in the film as well you're so kind of involved in the families you've kind of watched them evolve and the whole kind of friendship between um so jamie who's the the white son who who got sent to war strikes up a friendship with ronzel the black son mm. who went to war and uh his emotions playing out trying to stop what happened it was just yeah very dramatic um, Gemma, what were your thoughts? You warned Annabelle. I had warned Annabelle about it. Um, I, I'm i not sure I probably liked it as much as you. I, It's based on a book, isn't it? Yeah. So it's an adaptation of a book. And um, I actually watched it with subtitles on because my wife is French and we often watch things with subtitles on. So just to make it easy. Just to make it easy. And also yeah. I, I kind of got used to it. So um, I watch a lot of things, even if they're in English with subtitles on. Yeah, I, when I, if the film starts with like subtitles on and it's... I'm happy just to leave it there, but my wife was just like, can you stop that? It's funny you said that. I wish I'd have thought of doing that because I don't know if anyone else found it. I found the sound mixing really, really bad on it. Oh, really? Yeah. I yeah. found that it was very, very quiet near the beginning and I couldn't mm. understand what a lot, lot of the dialogue was. And then it was incredibly loud when other stuff was going on and it was a bit distracting. So I should have done what you I guess did. I hadn't noticed that because I was looking at subtitles mm. um, as much. But what I found it useful for was because the narration changes a lot. Yes. So you're, it's the different different characters start narrating at different points. And actually when you see it on the subtitles, you, you it says who it is. So obviously you kind of guess who it is after a little while, but I found that quite useful. Um, and I wondered, I, I haven't read the book and I would be interested to read the book, but I don't know whether the book is told told through different characters' voices at different points. Yeah, chapter by chapter is different. Uh, is that right? People. I don't know. That's oh what, yeah, yeah, I just wondered. So um, uh, I just, and I wonder whether that was done particularly well in the film because I didn't feel like you necessarily got enough of that. Like I would have maybe w wanted there to just be like one or two narrators rather mm. than, I think maybe after something like six or something. Maybe. Yeah. Wow, I didn't even notice that. Really? Yeah. So I think we, you talked about a bit of a, fam, uh, a Kerry Mulligan fango because uh, Kerry Mulligan only had like a couple of those and I thought they were more noticeable by the fact that she didn't have that many and one of them was about her being happiest on the Saturday because that's, that was the day she was cleanest. Yep. Um, well, she had a few, in fact, she had a yeah, few. Yeah, she was kind of more at the start and yeah. then she doesn't really come back into it that much because we kind of start at the end of the story. Yeah. So everything you kind of have to piece, you're piecing together what are the moments that lead up to that bit. Yeah. Um, and she has one when she has the miscarriage as well. Yeah. Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, I did find it quite, not necessarily distracting, but I found it a bit, kind of strange that typically you do have one maybe two narrators but this one it was each of the main characters had something to say about the scenes that they're in but they were generally they were narrating their own scenes they weren't narrating other people's scenes so i think it kind of did didn't feel too weird maybe it takes a little bit of getting used to at the start it was a bit all over the place but mm. then i guess maybe it got into more of a natural rhythm so what are your thoughts helen um i <laughs> I mean, again, you've already mentioned it's not really a film that you can sit down and go, 
I'm going to put your mug down. <laughs> going to see what's uh, happening in the races south. Great. Um, I think it's. I don't think it's a bad film. I think there's some areas that it's not great with. Um, I mean, the performances I thought were all really good. Um, yeah. I mean, the cast is really good. Um, I find it was a little bit slower in places that I would have liked. But um, yeah, I mean, it's. Yeah, it's not a bad film, but it's also not. It didn't make me go, my God, that's an amazing experience or yeah. sort of have like the wow factor because obviously it's got a few Oscar nominations for... So t- talk us through the Oscar nominations. So I see you've done got, your research there, Helen. Yeah, we've got uh, Mary J. Blige in, in supporting. Holy shit. That's Mary J. Blige. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why didn't I know that? That's crazy. Yeah. As Annabelle said, yeah. the sunglasses at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, <laughs> yeah. she's she's great in it. I mean, yeah. her kind of acting as is, is kind of something that's been really natural for her. And then it's also up for adapting. Uh it's also up for song, but I can't I thought there would have been perhaps maybe more singing in it, but there's it's got a song nom. And then it's also it's cinematography yeah. is the nomination which we mentioned before recording that it's the first, we... first female <laughs> nomination for best cinematography, which we think is probably not going to win because then Robert Deacon going to win. Roger Deacons. Roger Deacons. Yeah. So you got he's Roger Deakins and which and he's been nominated quote unquote, m- millions millions of times. Yeah. So this will be his consolation which prize. Dunkirk, isn't it? No, Is it's it? Hoyt Van Hoytema did Dunkirk. Uh, Roger oh. Deakins did uh, Blade Runner twenty forty oh, okay. eight nine, um, and also Shape of Water looks splendid. Yeah, I I I was surprised that it did get the nom because it I don't know it didn't really stand out to me as being particularly. I mean, there are some shots. A wow we're, factor. We're kind I mean, of looking at the screen here. Um, and to the listeners, that doesn't, um, I'm not going to, it's not going to help out. But there's shots like here where she's kind of, uh, Karen Mulligan sitting outside, which look really cool. Um, there's shots where Ronzel and Jamie come back and they're sitting in the kind of shack that yeah. he, used, he used to hang out in. I just thought that was really well put together shots. But compared to things in the shape of water and compared to. Blade um, Runner, Blade even. Runner yeah. even. It might be a bit snoozy dull. It yeah. does look amazing. Exactly. Um, yeah, see, I was almost going to give cinematography as a defence for why I hadn't noticed the the changing narrators. Sure. Because, I mean, it doesn't have the same wow factor as Blade Runner or The Shape of Water, but it's kind of the, I don't know, it makes mud beautiful. Yeah. There well, there's, a, there's a lot of mud in it. In case yeah. you're wondering, there is mud. mud. Yeah. Opens with mud yeah. in a big way. There's one scene where the kids, was it her kids or... Um, the kids next door. Yeah, the kids are just filthy in it. Yeah, the kids next door. They're just one girl like leans in with a spoon and starts eating the mud. Yeah, and because it's kind of shot quite well, I didn't. I didn't th- kind of go. Ugh. I was just like, was it mud? I thought it was some creature from oh, really? the mud. I, I don't know. They were a strange family. I, I had to look away at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's just me that uh, did. I mean, yeah, it was, it was a bit weird. Quite tasty. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm just a sucker for like beautiful light and I think that just the lighting in a lot of the scenes like the kind of sprawling farm scenes mm. was, was just really beautiful not I mean I wouldn't say Terence Malick but sort of that kind of you know light vibes yeah it did kind of have like the sort of dreamy essence that you kind of get in in the countryside sometimes tell us about Carrie Mulligan Carrie Mulligan um first oh. saw her in an education, yeah. I think. Do you, have you got a favourite or like your top, top? Nah, I just, I, I say fangirl is, is probably an 
exaggeration. I like her. I haven't seen all of her films. Um, but um, I don't know, just kind of repping the, the British actress. Doing good. Yeah, it didn't take me a while to realise she was American. Uh, she was British. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first, the first film I saw her was Shame. And then, no, first film I saw her was Drive. And then it was uh, Shame, I think. And then went back to An Education. And I was like, oh, she, okay, I need to check out where she's from. But she, yeah, I think she's a consistently fantastic actress. Yeah, I really like her. Yeah. I really like her in Never Let Me Go. Not seen that. Either. What other films has she got on her, on her list? They're all the ones a, I can Yeah, think of. Education, Drive. I'm pretty sure she must have been in something bigger than that. I know she's in the um, BBC drama Collateral at the moment. She's in Pride and Prejudice. Right. Yeah. As um, She's in uh, Inside Robert. Uh, Llewellyn. Uh, Llewellyn. Yes, she Robert? is in that. No. Is... Uh, Llewellyn <laughs> Davis. Yes. Yes. I'm thinking yeah. of Crichton from Red Dwarf. Yeah, yeah Inside um, Robert Llewellyn. Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It should be a completely different film. So Drive, Shame. Um... Public Enemies, I guess that was a small yeah. role in there. Oh, yeah, Gatsby, of course. Yes, yeah. Far From the Madden Crowd, that's probably the big yeah. the main one I was thinking where she, she was far front and centre of that. And Suffragette. So she's got... It's pretty high calibre. Yeah, I don't think there's any... She doesn't really make any stinkers. No. Yeah, I think that's what I was thinking when I when I first saw the trailer. Although, um, according to uh, Wikipedia, she's been in Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps. I'm not sure if anyone here has seen that. That's supposed to be quite a horrific film. I haven't. No, I haven't. <laughs> there we go. We we can't taint our experience of her. Yeah, but you. I guess your point, Annabelle, was that she this performance was a rather muted one for her, or she was. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's not as centre stage as, as she often is. Yeah. In in big blockbusters, um, but yeah, I mean, I thought her performance was really good. I guess I was, I, I was frustrated by her character a bit. Um, it's a bit passive. Yeah, and perhaps a little bit selfish at times. Don't know if anyone else. In what way? <laughs> Uh, the way that she turned away that that other the kind of poor family that live yeah. on their farm and basically at one point wanted to get rid of this this kind of white trash woman off her land who was threatening to kill her husband and basically just kind of turned a blind eye mm. and refused to get involved and then just she the woman goes on to kill her husband i don't know it was just it was a little bit yeah, passive, like you said, Helen. Yeah, she doesn't really have a particularly strong narrative point of view. I mean, essentially, this this film is about the the two lost sons, isn't it? Yeah. The, um, those two. So the the characters in the background just kind of fill in the other gaps. I thought none of the characters really surprised me in the decisions they made. Though you kind of thought that they did all the things that you would expect them each to do. Like they were all quite. Not one, one dimensional is a bit harsh, but they, they kind of, I don't think they ever really got space to develop because maybe there's too many, it's focus on so many people within it. Yeah. Um, I think, so the most surprising thing, I, I guess, was the relationship between the guys had gone to prison, uh, to war and then come back and they became friends, united yeah. by this horrible experience that they've both been through. But I guess the, the poor, the, the black family, there's the archetype of the guy who's indebted really to the, to the still poor farmer everyone's everyone's struggling in this film and that's kind of clear to see and what i thought was quite interesting is the the white trash family they were they seem to be the lowest of the low even um they had no dignity yeah which the black family even though they were kind of incredibly poor yeah were had this had what seemed like an amazing family mm. they had the support around them whereas the, the lady the lady when she comes to carrie mulligan's character 
she's heavily pregnant and saying, I'm going to kill my husband. And just like, fucking hell. I don't know what to do. That just seemed to me such a, an awful moment. Because uh, maybe I misunderstood it, but it sounded like her husband was... Cheating. Beating. Uh, yeah, sorry, I wasn't, I, sure, it was I wasn't sure whether he was abusing the kids. That's what I... Oh, okay. That's what I understood. I and it's gen- the, the implication I got was that the the husband was beating his wife at least. Oh, I thought that, that she was che- that he was cheating on her with someone else in the town, and that's why she was she just had enough of this. Like, um, yeah. But if he was beating her, then that would make sense that she stabs him to death. But it was like she was going off. She was kind of hunting him down in a way, though. Yeah, it was a strange kind of subplot that sort of Yeah, faded. I think that's a story in there that we didn't really need. <laughs> there's, there's quite a lot of stories going on. Um, you've, you've got the kind of the inevitable will they, won't they between Kerry Mulligan's character and, and Jamie. Yeah, so um, that's why I guess you kind of mean it. These things were kind of telegraphed. A lot of these things were telegraphed quite early, weren't they? Yeah, um, I think that well, you're right. That was inevitable, I thought. Um, and then you've obviously got the post-war relationship um and you've got the evil father figure who Pappy. A, yeah he's got to die soon um well it starts it, off with his death you know that yeah. Pappy's dead or their jamie and jason clark i can't remember what his character's name uh their dad is dead and that's how it starts off the film but we don't know how he dies um but you might be able to guess <laughs> when you watch it it's not really a surprise how he dies no it's not a surprise um, I, I try yeah, to, there's a quite there's quite a lot going on. Mm. Um, I don't really think there needs to be that much going on. I mean, it is quite long, two hours fifteen minutes, so they do pack a lot into that runtime. Yeah, yeah. I felt like the only purely one-dimensional character though was Pappy, the kind of racist old grandfather figure. Mm. You know, he was just all out, like gross, like disgustingly racist. Um. Whereas the others, you kind of saw them develop, at yeah. least in the film. I guess he's, he's also leery towards um, his... Oh, yeah. When she's having the bath. And yeah. He's just, yeah, leering. I thought, I mean, I think Carrie did have some scenes where she she made her position known, at least. <laughs> well, it's horrible. It's, 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 it's horrible for her when she finds out that after her, they're having sex, then the first thing he... he um, her husband says to her is, oh, by the way, we're moving in three weeks' time and she can't do anything about it. In this day and age, that'll be a, what the fuck are you talking about? No, we're not moving. But for her, it's just like, yeah. oh, that's a bit surprising. She'd just stand her ground on the piano, though. That's what quite yeah. good. Yeah. So there's that's an, what, sorry. There's some interesting, well, it's interesting where she, she, he refuses her sex at one point when he, when he's annoyed with her. And mm. she's like, oh, I never thought of doing that. Kind of almost as if he was able to refuse her, but she'd never thought about it um, as a way of kind of getting back at him. Um, that was, I thought that was quite interesting. Mm. But I don't think she would be able to refuse him sex. No, I, I, perhaps not in then, but it was an interesting point for her to kind of... Yeah, 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 definitely. And I mean, there's so much of it that was, you know, if it's such a different world. And yet afterwards I was reflecting on the fact that it's not that long ago. <laughs> it's like in almost my parents' lifetime. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, 1940s. It's just not that long ago at all. And yet the world, you know, the the kind of, the, the power dynamic in the marriage, but of like even more than that, the, the race relations and the way that 
um, the black family just are totally subservient to, to the white family and they have to be. Mm. When Ronzel first comes back from the war and he wants to walk out the front of the shop, where as a viewer, we're just kind of like, oh, well, why don't you just let him walk out the front of the shop? Um, there's a tete-a-tete. He has to walk out the back of the shop. And then Jason Clark's character comes back, comes to their house and has a word and says, dude, you can't walk out the front of the shop. And instead of being able to defend him, Ronzel's dad has to, has to turn around to him and goes, yeah, is that, is that, is that what you did? You, you tried to walk out the front of the shop. It's like, son, you can't do that. And that's heartbreaking to not be able to be able to support your son in something that should be, it's not even basic human rights, just like let him walk out the shop. It doesn't matter yeah. which entrance he wants to go out of. Um, so that's that's the kind of situation we're in here. Do you think, what do you reckon of Jason Clark's character? Do you think he would have been, um, I don't know, more benevolent to, I don't know, is he on the side of, does he have a particular side or is he just, is in, he's in the position he's in so he, he's living the life as he... As yeah, he... Which one was he again? Jason Clark. Henry, the Henry The guy. husband. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so he's not he's not a pappy. He's not out and out racist or doesn't... I think he's just trying to get by. Yeah. He kind of has a bit of a hard life, really. He's either kind of working and covered in mud or arguing with, like, his brother or his dad or trying to mm-hmm. kind of keep the peace between everyone. I think that inter- that opening scene... I think it's the opening scene, isn't it, when they're digging? Yeah. I think that's... In- it. You kind of... you have a view of what they are their relationship which you are completely disabused of by the end of the film i think that's quite a clever way of opening the film because so, of that so describe it then further. so um they're both digging a grave in mud that's just kind of slopping back on top of them and then the, there's a thunderstorm coming so they have to do it quickly and they kind of t- take it in turns one of them goes in of the grave and has a break the other one has a break and then the thunderstorm arrives um and it's the uh the grave starts filling up with water and Jamie, the younger brother, I think, isn't he? He um, He's kind of stuck in the grave um, and Henry um, goes goes away um, and he says he's going to go and get a ladder, but Jamie just doesn't kind of almost doesn't believe he's going to go and get one. Mm. And you don't really know why that you have no context about why he might be shit scared at that point. Um, and I thought that was interesting because he does eventually come and get the ladder um, and save him and they have a big hug. But then you later find out that, that at that point they're just kind of at total loggerheads with each other. And um, I think, yeah, I thought that was interesting because you, you wouldn't have thought what you, yeah, you wouldn't have thought you'd have got to that from that point to where you did at the end. I, I thought one reason you chose it was because um, it was part of the debate around well, part of the snubbing because yeah. of the Netflix side of things. So yeah. expand on that a bit. Um, so I remember watching Beasts of No Nation and being astonished that it didn't get any Oscars nominations. And so, yeah, I'm. It's you know they're not like necessarily the biggest of nominations, mm-hmm. uh, and it's and it's according to everyone's judgments here, not necessarily the most deserving of of, of big nominations. But it's, it's still like you know a big blockbuster film and. Um, I think it's cool that it's it's kind of been recognised. Yeah, I think that the problem with Beasts of No Nations was that I don't think it had enough uh, theatrical release to qualify for the Oscars, rather than um, it not being up to scratch. Yeah. Uh, so there are there's that kind of technical side of things in terms of. And also possibly that people have just kind of accepted that Netflix are producing films and actually they're of a quality that you can't just keep ignoring them yeah. with the excuse that oh they were just made for streaming therefore 
they're not as good. So it's I think it's a great move that obviously we do most of our film screening viewing through Netflix. Yeah. So why shouldn't we have high quality films and why shouldn't they be up there with everyone else really? Well this was a independently produced and Netflix bought it after Sundance, the Sundance Film Festival. Is that why it qualifies when Beast Animation didn't? Uh, well, what Netflix do now and Amazon Prime, Amazon do as well, is they give things a short cinematic release, like if it's like four days or five days in the required number of cinemas to do the minimum requirement to get uh, eligibility, and then they, you know, put it onto their, um, just onto their system. So they just get the minimum requirement. Because the thing is, you've got to consider small independent documentaries, for example, who haven't, they're not going to get any distribution, but these obviously want to get them into the Oscars and they're not going to compete against Captain America Civil War. But mm. so if they can be in the cinema for a week somewhere and then get that qualification, then that's what that kind of rule is for, basically. I think it's my first Netflix original film that I've seen. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, you could throw some other names at me and There's, I can see if I've I mean, seen them. The, the quality varies. <laughs> so we saw Ark. So the ones we've reviewed here, here are Ark. Which is... Awful. <laughs> Beast of No Nations. Which is amazing. Um, Okja. Okja. Which is I yeah, love pretty Okja. good. I've yeah. heard a lot about. Yeah. yeah. Um, Amanda Knox. Which is excellent. Yeah. Um, a There's more. a lot of buzz about Cloverfield Paradox being wank. Yeah. And that was that's another Netflix buy-in. I think is that, an Annihilation a Netflix one? I don't know. I think so. Um, I've just read they're about to release a whole bunch of new ones in March. Yeah. Well, that's that's part of the problem. They just go, here's a film. Yeah. And you don't want... And there's Bright, which is the Will Smith one. Yeah, I didn't see that, did you? No. No. There's the there's a Brad Pitt film that's on there that would say... The wa- tin War Machine. War Machine. <laughs> and what's that? No. Too many. Yeah. Like, where do they market? They only market them on the homepage. Do Pretty they? Much. Or? They'll tell you, they'll send you an email to say, hey, there's a film you might like. Um, and if you don't like it, then you... Bright got TV advertising though, didn't it? Did it? I think Where? so. Yeah, I think it got more what you'd expect in the terms of trailers okay. being available. But they it were was the first time I think they did it for that. I think Bright they they built that from scratch that film and they put a lot of money behind it. They did. Yeah, um, it's just a shame. I still want Will Smith to be in a decent film, for, not he's, not, he's just not been in one for a long time. Give that man a hit. Anyway, we digress. Shall we uh, go to some scores? Let's go to some scores. So this is our unique scoring system. Um, People who listen to this must wonder what it looks like because everyone goes, oh. I'm impressed by spreadsheets, always. (laughs) However simple. It's a thing of beauty. So first, all the scores are out of five. If you'd like to go to a decimal place, you can do. Um, you can score zero if you want to. don't think we'll be getting any zeros. Um, and the first up is recommendability. So this is sort of, I don't know, you kind of overall, how much you recommend it, how you, how you feel about the film. And we'll start with you, Annabelle, because it was your choice. I would say 4.5. It's pretty high. What's the, where does it lose the 0.5? I don't know, I'm sort of not a believer in, compl- like, Full marks. Four, yeah, full marks. There's, I don't have the uh, conviction for that. <laughs> uh, Gemma? I would say four, I think. I think it's one of those films that you couldn't just sit down and watch at any moment. You have to 
have be in the right place mm. headspace to watch it and do you feel you could recommend this to absolutely everyone but with that caveat i think so okay um i mean you will learn something about this horrible time yeah. and how it still impacts the world today that's um uh i think a good reason to watch it um and it's harrowing and horrible um but there are some it's an important film strong yeah it's an important film that's true yeah and then there's some really strong characters and moments and kind of um people who have great a strength inside them so yeah i think for that reason i would say it's a, a thing to watch but at the right moment don't watch it when you're looking for something fun helen see i've been thinking about this and I think what, what I was originally thinking is probably a bit harsh, so I might bump it up a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything particularly bad about this film, but I don't think that it delivers on all of all of its kind of premise and the characters are a bit... But then it is... <laughs> yeah. See, it's really tricky because you can't just say... You can't just throw it away because it's kind of reminding us of history and, you know, these kind of things happened and it kind of does tell, tell a story that's, you know, sort of important to be heard, even if it's kind of a fictional one, but obviously based on history. Uh, I'm going to give it four. <laughs> well, I had literally surprised. no idea where that yeah. was going to go. <laughs> Could have gone anywhere. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it 4.1. Um I think it's really good. It's really decent film, but it's not. I don't think. I don't think it's going to trouble anything in the Oscars. Um, it looks great, but doesn't isn't spectacular. Um, acting is great across the board, but the point there is because it's it is an ensemble cast. There's not really one person who stands. I think Mary Jo Blige is probably the standout. She's uh, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. We haven't talked she about is. her enough, but she was great. Yeah. Well, we can talk about her. Um, you can talk about Mary J. Blige anytime you want. I'm I'm surprised that I didn't know it was Mary J. Blige. What a fucking idiot. <laughs> well, Mary it's Blige. Mary J. Blige stripped back and playing yeah. a kind of demure... Well, she's incredibly strong. Yeah. But because of the context, uh, very much... You know, she's a very strong mother and a very strong woman, woman mm. at the time. Um, and she's got a great pair of sunglasses in it. Yeah. That's <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah, when I saw the sunglasses, I thought, did they have sunglasses like that back then? Mary J. Blige did. Yeah, well, she did. Um, I think this next section is where it's going to drop a fair few points. Um, so re- this is repeat viewing yeah, score. Are we, this is the first time we all saw it, is that right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, two and a half. Oh, that's yeah. quite high, though. No, it's not quite high, but... Higher than... Yeah, I, I think that's just because I felt it was worthy of watching again, but I probably wouldn't. <laughs> unless I was trying to make someone else watch it. I might go lower one i i really don't think i'm going to watch it again um why is that it was it was just very very harrowing mm. and um i mean maybe i would maybe maybe you said if i was if i told some, i was recommending it to someone and i had to watch it with them but um i just don't know what i would learn or take from it a second time round um you think i think of- you know what i think i'd rather what, read the book maybe if i read the book yeah and then came back and I might watch it again. Okay. I think that's probably the only time I would read it again. Maybe I should put that up again. Put that up. 1.5. With the caveat that I've read the book. Um, can you think of other films that you think are good, but you don't want to watch again? Or you find it very difficult to get the energy to watch again? Beasts of No Nation. Which I haven't seen. Mm. Um, oh, that's a tough one. Someone's Ir- irreversible. Irre- no one needs to watch that again. 
um, someone brought Tyrannosaur to the table the other. Oh yeah, I was I was thinking about it the other day because um, I was watching something with Olivia Coleman in, and I read the synopsis of it, and I thought, what the hell was Paddy Constable thinking? <laughs> That's nil by mouth. That's yeah, one that you know, no one needs to see again. I probably, I need to, I do need to see it because I saw it too young and it was on TV, so I can't really remember what happened. I don't think I understood really what was happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's some there's important films. Uh, yeah. 12 Years a Slave. I'm not sure when I've watched that again. Um, so there are some... I mean, you watched it the first time, so... Yeah. Helen, repeat for uh, score. One. I mean, this, this is not, it's not a fun experience. There isn't... There's not really that much happiness in it at all, really, thinking about it. Um, yeah, so I, unlikely, but... Never say never. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say one as well. I, I did really like... I really liked the relationship between Jamie and Ronzel. I thought that was so kind of heartening. I what do you reckon do you, where do you think Jamie ranked on the spectre of racism before he went to war I wouldn't say he was I didn't think he would would have been that racist before he went to war yeah uh, he seemed just like a kind of happy go lucky kind of guy yeah yeah isn't there a reference to a moment when that he's really angry with his dad about for some uh, for something that happened. Well, yeah, it seems that something dark happened. Um, maybe his dad killed one person. I don't know, but we don't know who that. Maybe we don't exactly, know that which might have been a, a a kind of a, a black person. Yeah, yeah. Well, a KKK um, event, and he's very angry at his dad. So presumably he isn't of this. He's not a member of the KKK yeah. before he goes to war. He, he almost yeah. seemed a bit ignorant of race to me. Mm. Like when he asked Ronzel if he'd ever been with a white woman, I thought it was really obvious that Ronzel was not comfortable and could not answer that question because it would put him in danger. Yeah. And I almost couldn't tell if Jamie was trying to trick him or, and I was like, oh no, he's just, he's just not thinking about this. And it's almost like he doesn't get the society that he lives in. Yeah. He's like the kind of like the modern man, like he probably would have danced with a black woman at the dance earlier on and just kind of thought nothing of it. Just kind of, you know, a man of the moment and of the future and, they also start out the film in quite an urban, I, can't, I don't know what city that is in the beginning. Memphis. Memphis. Yeah, Memphis. Memphis. Okay, so it's quite an urban environment, isn't it? Yeah. Where it's probably a little they, bit more liberal. Yeah, well, he's a yeah. playwright or something or he's into theatre. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, definitely starts out on the on the least racist end of the scale. <laughs> um, but I think because when Ronzel asks him why he's being his friend and he, he felt he had to explain that the red-tailed black pilots rescued him I didn't. I didn't see why oh, he had yeah. to feel that that was an explanation. He could have just said, "Look, dude, these are the knobheads around me. They're not. I'm not like that." It would be great if he said knobhead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, small screen score, Annabelle. Um, so small screen score is whether like how we valued it for not being in the cinema. Yeah. How like, you know what was your viewing experience? Yeah. Not having. Do you feel you yeah. missed out on it not being in? Do you feel um, it's best on the? You feel more no. I definitely think I, it would have been better on a big screen. Okay, you, mean, you enjoyed the cinematography quite a lot. You said I did. Yeah, exactly. Um, so maybe I should give it a three. All right, Gemma. Uh, yeah. So I I wouldn't say either way actually. So I'm kind of yeah. I would say probably three as well. Um, Helen. Yeah, four. Um, I mean, this I never would have gone to the cinema to see this. Mm. Um, I think obviously it has definitely been made for a bigger screen it's it's made as a film it's not made for tv which sometimes some of the netflix things can feel a bit like um but 
watching on a TV um, can't be that. It's it's not it doesn't detract anything from it. I mean, there's some really really gruesome bits as well that I kind of <laughs> wouldn't want to have had um, to watch on a larger screen. I'm gonna go. Re- I'm gonna go with a four feet with yourself there as well. Um, it look it looks good. Don't think I missed out that much by watching it. And I probably would have seen it in the cinema if it'd been. No, I missed it actually. Cause it was at London. It was at London Film Festival or Sundance London. Yeah, I and I tried to do that. And I just couldn't. I couldn't see it. Um, so I'd made the choice to see something else instead of it. So. But now it's on Netflix. But now it's on Netflix. It? In fact, I knew it was going to go on Netflix as oh. well after, so I probably just thought, let's wait until Netflix. Um, engagement score. How engaged were you during the film? I, I, I was very engaged. I wept at yeah. the end, so I'm going to give it a five. That's a big That's a big sign. Yeah. How much do you cry at films, guys, generally? I do cry quite a lot, actually. Also, I'd say as, as a base thing, I, I can't really turn off a film. Like I, I would, and it's the same with songs. Like I hate it when people skip songs. Mm. I have to listen through to the end. That's a fucking bugbear of mine as well. Just, <laughs> it's three and a half minutes. Just let it finish and then you can change it. Um. <laughs> I cry at happy things rather than sad things, okay. which makes me, means I cry at sport loads, which is really irritating because <laughs> I love sport. Um, so I will cry like in a sports film when the good team wins, but I won't cry. <laughs> Annabelle's laughing at me because... Like she's seen me crying at these things in the office. Yeah, <laughs> watching the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it's ridiculous. I could never be a sports commentator because I would just weep. Um, what was the last sports film you cried at? Oh, sport. Oh, no, I can't think of a sports film. But I mean, I generally would cry like at most sport. Mm. Yeah, a league of their own. Not if my team lost. Like if if the team I like lose, I don't cry. Okay. Did you cry at Cool Runnings? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Would absolutely. You know, it's like that sore throat kind of. Yeah. Um, so, and is it generally like any underdog story? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, but I don't. I don't necessarily cry at really, really sad films. Um, what does that say about me as a person? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I cried at the trailer for Life of Pi. Oh, did you? Yeah. What was in the trailer that uh, brought tears? Sorry, and uh, Gemma, <laughs> what was your score for engagement? Oh yeah. Um, I. Did, I think I paused it a couple of times. Does mm-hmm. that mean that I should lower my engagement score? If you, you, if you, you can't give it a five if you... Yeah. No. Um, if I it, did if, think it was a bit too long. Yeah. Um, and I didn't like the ending. We haven't really talked about the ending. Tell us about the ending. What did you like about it? I thought it was really rushed. It tried to wrap up too much in about three minutes. Um, um, from going from a really, um, really harrowing moment um, and this kind of intense like parting scene mm. you just then wrap up and I, I mean I don't know what the book's like when we'll go back to the book but I don't know whether that happens I presume there's more detail in the book um, so I was expecting I think I was hanging in there because I kind of wanted there to be a bit, of, a bit more of a resolution at the end sure and I was I was slightly let down by the ending I have to say um, so I would say maybe 3.5 okay Helen crying and engagement score please Crying, the trailer to Life of Pi. Yeah. So what happened in the, is it the tiger? Um, well, have you read the book? Because the book's such a emotional experience anyway. And then on the trailer they had, um, I think it was Sigur Ross and uh. Coldplay. And just the, the animation. The double whammy. The animation and the music combined is amazing. And then I think when, I think then when I actually watched the film, 
like the first 20 minutes I cried as well. And then I cried all the way through the second viewing of Dancer in the Dark. I don't think I've ever seen that. Is that the Bjork film? Yeah, you'll cry. So yeah, I mean, I'll cry every now and again. And I think I cried at the Life Aquatic once. (laughs) <laughs> that was Sigoros again. Was it? Yeah, I think it's. I think it's when there's certain music involved. I think it's, it's music. Yeah, that brings you to it. Yeah. Uh, engagement score. Three point five. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> pretty pretty much kind of what Gemma said, and I, I was, I thought the pace was a little bit a little bit slow, and I did kind of get sucked into IMDbing a little bit. Maybe I should have done some IMDbing. Would, would find have, out it was Mary Jo Blige. Idiot. Um, I was in this film. Um, it did wax and wane a bit. It did wax and wane a bit for me. Um, so I'm going to say three and a half as well. Let's go for three and a half. Okay, we've got an overall score of 3.25, which is decent. Yeah. Um, it's, the, it's the repeat viewing factor there. That's brought it down. Yeah, it's brought it down in, in our scoring system. I think that's kind of fair for... Yeah, I and mean, if you look at the uh, recommendability, it scores a 4.15 and it's just a little recommendability, so... Mm. I think if if you've got any kind of if you've seen this film sort of flash up on your recommended and you thought yeah I kind of want to watch that then I think you definitely should yeah add it to your list yeah so it's there in that in that row but maybe you're not interested in it on on a Friday night when you just want to yeah. chill out and stuff but you know there's uh, not when you're feeling sad or yeah down with the world you have to be ready to watch it yeah, yeah. maybe watch it with a friend Ant Hill Mob. <laughs> Tell us where we can get your podcasts and sign off. <laughs> uh, you can get The Anthill on theconversation.com yep. or any of the other podcast, iTunes. Uh, Podcatchers of your pod- choice. Yeah. So All just type in Anthill and you guys will be yep, the, the other people. And we're monthly. And monthly. Fantastic. Um, Twitter? We don't have our own Twitter handle. Oh, yeah, The Conversation. Yeah, just, just follow at yeah. Conversation UK. And that will give you all the anthill. We have our, personal, our own personal Twitter still. Please, yeah. I'm at Where's Gemma. And I'm at Kablai. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, thank you very much for bringing Mud, uh, Mud Down to us. I, yeah, like I said, I've been waiting to watch it. So I was, I was really It was on my list as well. So yeah. yeah, thanks for bringing it to the table. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Uh, thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find all of the episodes on our website, flixwatcher.tv. Want to give us your five-star review? Follow us at FlixWatcherPod on Twitter. Big shout out to our editor, Brendan Russell, for all his awesome editing skills. And thanks as always to the mighty people for their tunes.